Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Football Social Daily, the morning after the night before in the Champions League in Paris. No seventh heaven for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool as Real Madrid clinched a 14th European title at the Stade de France. Frustration in Paris for Liverpool on the back of being edged out of the Premier League title race with pre-game events in Paris dominating the post-match reaction. Another chapter in a catalogue of dark nights for UEFA as supporters were denied entry with growing reports of disgraceful treatment by local police and stadium security at the game. A pretty sobering night for football all round and again some major questions for UEFA to answer. On today's podcast we're going to be looking back on the match as well as discussing the latest on events in and around the stadium as the dust begins to settle. That's all to come in part one of the show and then in part two we'll be looking ahead to Liverpool next season. The futures of Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah on the agenda and Jurgen Klopp's confidence despite defeat in Paris. So let's get into it. My name is Fergal Brennan and on the show today we are joined by the Anfield Raps Gareth Roberts. I asked you off air how you were and then I immediately regretted it but for the purpose of the podcast I'm going to ask you how are you doing? Yeah it's tough mate isn't it? I mean look you know um, it's been a great season there's been some great moments great games great goals and look, we all wanted to top it off with the European Cup. Um, and, you know, Liverpool went into the match as favourites. I think, you know, the way the game initially unfolded as well, you were like, well, Liverpool looked a dominant side. It looks like we're going to score a goal. It looks like we're going to win the game. This is how it should go, ignoring what went off off the pitch for now. Um, and then obviously it just didn't go our way. And I think the more the saves came from the keeper, the more that, you know, chances weren't being taken you just slowly, gradually started to think this is not going to be our night. This is going to be an awful occasion all round. And so it unfolded. So, yeah, it, it is pretty grim. But, you know, 
I'm looking at the clock right now and I'm thinking, well, I'm going to a parade in a couple of hours or so. Uh, I'm taking my son with us. And we're going to celebrate the fact that we're watching the one of the very best versions of Liverpool Football Club there's ever been. Um, what this side has done this season has been nothing short of unbelievable. And OK, I get that, you know, rivals and, and, and the rest of it are, can look in from the outside and say, well, ah, you only got two out of four and all this kind of stuff. But plenty of clubs, plenty of fans, plenty of players would swap right now for what Liverpool have achieved this season. And to play the 63 games, to go so close, the closest anyone ever has to winning all four, if you like, taking it to, to the last day of the Premier League, getting to the final of this and not quite getting over the line. It's tough to take, but I think you've got to start immediately putting it into perspective and say, well, look, really proud of, of this team, really proud of the club. We're, we're facing in the right direction. We're not going anywhere and we'll be back. Yeah, and obviously we are going to circle back to events on the night. Last night in Paris, our own Steve McNaughton was there at the Stade de France. He's only just arrived back home. We've given him the afternoon off. He's gone to bed to get some rest, but we're going to be chiming in with him later on in the podcast because an awful night, and particularly when you put a voice on it with Steve. Chatted to him briefly this morning. He sent me a couple of messages. Genuinely very, very worrying some of the things that went on. But as I say, we're going to touch on the game and then we're going to come back to that a little bit later on. So, Gareth, certainly not a classic Champions League final. Real Madrid doing what Real Madrid do best. And that's not to undersell it. Their fans will be celebrating last night and again today. 14th European Cup slash Champions League for them. And that's not to discredit them or Carlo Ancelotti. They are incredible at that type of performance. But in terms of Liverpool, without playing badly, without you know a catalogue of mistakes or poor individual performances, something did seem to be lacking. Luis Diaz, Sergio Mane, Mohamed Salah, we've seen them be incredible for Liverpool in the Champions League. Massive performances, crucial goals. Salah obviously had a couple of saves from Courtois that frustrated him. Sadio Mane had one tipped onto the post, but they didn't seem like themselves. And, and you rewind to the pre-game, Salah's been very outspoken about wanting to get a bit of revenge, unfinished business, etc. Sadio Mane and the speculation swirling around his, his contract and his future at Liverpool. When you were watching this last night, did you think that all of these things, alongside what happened before the game, affected Liverpool in terms of their performance? Because this was a, a Liverpool side but it wasn't the Liverpool side that we've seen so many times this season. Yeah, I just wonder how much they had left in the tank, really, when I look at the performance. Because I think, you know, as I said earlier, they obviously dominate the game. There's loads of shots in there. As you say, you know, you sort of look at it and think, well, they haven't done a whole lot wrong. There just wasn't quite that sort of sprinkle of stardust. And even... The really big moments. I mean, I think I think Sadio in particular, Sadio Mane is really unlucky um, with, with with the effort that ends up hitting the post. That's a great save that, um, and he creates that opportunity himself from a from a tight situation. Finds himself some space, swivels on it, hits the ball, and it's tipped onto the post. So he, he's very unlucky there. I also thought the one where um, Mo Salah goes to on about the eighty second minute, I think it is around there. You know, he pulls the ball out the sky, goes past the defender. And you think for all the world that you know that that, that net's going to bulge because you've seen it so many times, and it, it, that was a moment of class from Mo Salah. But again, he's denied by the goalie, and you just think, well, it's not it, you know it's it's not going to happen tonight. Diaz obviously substituted as well, um, which was disappointing to see because he's been absolutely electric for Liverpool since he signed for us. 
And yeah, I just I just wonder about the sort of you know the amount of football that they've played, not just for Liverpool but internationally as well. I mean, you know, obviously Sadio Mane and, and Mo Salah go to the African Cup of Nations, playing in World Cup qualifiers as well, and. You know, I think I've seen something the other day saying they've flown around the world twice, basically, this season in terms of the air miles they've clocked up. So all, all of that, I think, sort of takes its toll um, and did take its toll a little bit on the night. And they just didn't look, you know, that fresh, really. I mean, you know, all the possession, all the shots, all that kind of thing. But at times they frustrated me in terms of the speed they moved the ball. Um you know, looked a little bit predictable at times. I thought Madrid, you know, to be fair to them, defended well. They defended a lot better than I thought they would. They defended better than I thought they were capable of, I'm being honest. Because having seen, you know, City score four, Chelsea score three, I just thought it was an absolute nap that Liverpool would do would do something similar, really. And But as you say, it just wasn't quite there up front. You know, that, that little bit of sparkle... And obviously, a, an inspired goalie between the between the sticks for Madrid as well. In terms of the lineup and the changes that were made, it it did seem to be a strange call all round from Klopp to, to take off Diaz when arguably he was having a better game than Salah and Mane. Obviously, in terms of the changes in midfield, Roberto Firmino coming on, Diogo Jota coming on. Do you think Jurgen Klopp? It's difficult to call this one because. Nine times out of ten, probably ninety-nine percent of the time, the changes, the decisions that he makes in game are absolutely spot on. But that particularly looked like a strange call. Do you think that comes down to the fact that you don't take Mane or Salah off in a Champions League final? And incredible as Luis Diaz has been, he's only been at Liverpool for four or five months. That's the easy sub to make. Yeah, I think there's probably something, some truth in that. And, and look, you know, the the figures this season. For Mo Salah and for Sadio Mane are absolutely brilliant. Mane brilliant in sort of the second half of the season. Um, Mo still clocking up thirty odd goals across the course of the season, albeit that he went through a bit of a sort of you know a barren patch uh, post African Cup of Nations, really. Um, but yeah, both of those are huge game changers, match winners, and and I've got huge sort of status at the club now, I guess, and and I've deserved. To, to almost stay on the pitch in that way, I guess there's a there's a level of loyalty there almost that you know they they've took us to these places over and over again. So you know it, as you say, it's very difficult to to call one of them off in a situation like that. I think also as well, you know you think about the psychology of it as well. If if Klopp had called Mo Salah off and things like that, what would that have done for the opposition? Give, especially given what Mo had said about it, and we know that he wanted his revenge and all of that kind of thing. You know the opposition seeing him trudging off. No doubt, angry to be hooked as well. You know what would that do to, you know, the collective psychology or psyche of of, of both sides. So I think that that probably answers that one. Um, and, and I think there was just the thing of you know we need to make our change. Let's put something someone different on there because as I said before, I think there was a little bit of a danger that Liverpool were becoming predictable in what they were doing on the night. You know, Madrid at times looked far too comfortable, really. You know, you can look at the stats and you can see twenty odd shots for Liverpool, but how many of them are good ones? How many of them are quality? How many of them are, are a real chance? And I think in terms of big chances, there aren't that many, unfortunately, a, a, across the ninety. A lot of them are, are pot shots, annoying shots as well. Uh, you know, Naby Keita's um, bad shot I think will live long in the memory. Unfortunately, uh, there was a similar one from Trent as well. So you know, they didn't quite 
get them on the back foot in the way that they, they've been able to do with so many other sides. And you have got to give credit to Madrid here as well, no, no doubt about that. Um, I think the way they set up and the way they played the game, there was an awful lot of respect there for Liverpool. You know, there was no attempt to real go toe-to-toe. It was more, let's stay in this game, uh, let's, let's frustrate Liverpool and let's back ourselves to, to get a moment. And that's exactly what they did. Um, and that's exactly what we've seen them do so many times. And, you know, the the nous in that squad, both from management and players, I think I think we saw that. Um, so it's, it, 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 I mean, it's for, if we're having a chat on something and we're trying to analyse it, saying it's just one of them is probably not the best statement. But it, it does feel a little bit like that. You know, waking up today, it's like, well, you know, there's loads of what, what ifs. What if Sadio's shot goes in? What does the game look like then? All of that kind of thing. And look, you know, the the question was originally about Diaz, wasn't it? I think, I think he was causing some problems, but again, and I think you alluded to it, he he didn't look exactly on fire. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't. I don't know. He wasn't quite there compared to what we've seen at other at other points in other games. So, yeah, I, I think I think he just wanted to change something, you know, change like make it a little bit more unpredictable for Madrid because they were comfortable at that time. I think when those substitutions came around. Real Madrid defended brilliantly, particularly after the goal. And there did seem to be a sense that once the ball hit the back of the net from Vinicius, that they took the game away from Liverpool after that. There were obviously chances and there was that brilliant Courtois save from from Salah that you mentioned before. In terms of Liverpool and the goal that was conceded, there is obviously going to be focus on Trent Alexander-Arnold. Overall, he had a good night and he's had an unbelievable season. But the kind of tired comments about that he's a poor defender, that he doesn't win his one-on-ones, was dismissed but also emboldened last night because his tracking of Benzema, his covering of Canate when pre-game we were told it was going to be the other way round was actually quite impressive. But his positioning for the Vinicius goal as the Fede Barberde cross comes in was bad and, and that did catch him out. And we can talk about everything that he does going forward, which is unbelievable. He's arguably the best right back in, in Europe and in, and in world football. But there is still a concern over his defensive positioning. I think defensively on one-on-one situations, recovering, tackling, those stats are really strong. But his positioning, just, just real, real basics of turning his hips, being aware of the man behind him and the potential danger, he did fall down last night. It wasn't a clangor, it wasn't a howler. But those tiny, tiny decisions that a right back that is probably not nearly as good a footballer as him, limited in a lot of ways, makes because they're a more bog standard, you know, cardboard cutout right back. But it does go down as a mistake on his part because his positioning was poor and Benicius punished him. Yeah, I mean, he he looks at him as well. He looks at Vinicius, I think, before, you know, not long not long before the ball comes in. You see him look over his shoulder, clock where he is, but then he doesn't he doesn't move accordingly, which is the frustration. He doesn't get closer to him. He he doesn't anticipate that ball well, and obviously it gets across the face of the goal and it's in the back of the net. So, it you know, one hundred percent it has to go down as as one for Trent to look at. Um, it is disappointing. But, you know, I think you're right to put the context around it that you just did there in that, you know, he's 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 performed unbelievably for Liverpool again this season. Um, you think about his age, you think about how much more improvement he's still got in him. And look, it's a big game and it's a high-profile moment and it'll be one that people highlight. 
but he's, he's shown the mental strength already in his career to bounce back from situations like that. You know, you think about playing at Old Trafford and, you know, not, not having the greatest days against Manchester United and then people having similar conversations to what they're having now, doubting his ability as a defender and that kind of thing. And then I remember him playing against Manchester City and being fantastic against Sane. So, you know, he's, he's got it in his locker to improve from this situation. I'm sure it'll be something that he and the, the coach and staff will talk about and he'll look to improve on. But obviously in the immediacy of now and you're looking at it, then of course it's frustrating when you think, well, you know, you literally looked over your shoulder there. You know, why did you not edge a little bit closer to him? But it's it's yet another one of those what ifs that I mentioned before. You know, for it to come down to such fine margins, for it to be decided just by that one mistake, I mean, it just shows you, you know, top level sport really and, and, and how cruel it can be because a lot of people will obviously focus on that, talk about that and forget about what he was doing going the other way. I mean, even last night, you know, he's creating chances, he's a threat, he's in and around the box, you know, when Madrid struggled to deal with him going the other way. So... It could have ended very differently. Of course, it didn't, and that's hard to take. It's frustrating and everything else. But I hope um, that he doesn't beat himself up too much about it. I'm sure it really stings in the in, in the right now. Uh, but hopefully, when he's on the bus later, uh, he's had a few beers. You know, he's holding the, the the two trophies aloft and that kind of thing, and seeing the adulation for both him and this side in this city. Hopefully, that makes him feel a little bit better, and it doesn't sting so much for him. Uh, we're going to move on to events that went on before the final. Uh, we now know that the final was delayed in the end twice by a total of about 35, 40 minutes. And looking at this situation before the game, watching the game, obviously you watching it in Liverpool, not in Paris, and some of the messages that I'm sure you were receiving, some of the social media posts, the videos, etc. It, it was genuinely terrifying to, uh, to, to look at, to listen to, and the kind of blanket of coverage from BT that were broadcasting the game in the UK wasn't really updating anybody with any sort of great detail on what was going on. Um, before I ask you about this, I did mention at the top of the show that we chatted to Steve. He was in Paris, he was in the ground. Uh, so I'm just going to play a quick clip of my chat with him earlier on today uh, about exactly how things went down at the Stade de France. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, you know, we arrived in the afternoon, you know, made our way across to the fan park and enjoyed the, you know, festivities. It was a great atmosphere. You know, there was a very large number of Liverpool supporters there, all in really high spirits, you know, singing the, the songs that, that we sing and everything like that. And then as we started to make our way up to the, the Stade de France, there was just a, there was just a very strange vibe. Um, and as we walked up, we were like, "That that crowd is is enormous. That crowd is absolutely huge. Um, this seems a bit odd." Uh, you know, kind of. We got there about two and a half hours, you know, two hours forty minutes before kickoff, and it, it was just seemed strange because we knew that the gates were open. Um, but then, as we kind of got to it, um, you know, blocks Y and Z, the gates were closed, so this like huge bottleneck was was created and and it was dangerous it was really dangerous and you know there was people that were very congested in there um you know people getting kind of lifted out of it and stuff like that and you know my, my biggest fear as you can imagine was what could have potentially happened under them circumstances and you know, then, you know, we, we just kind of stood there, you know, patiently waiting to 
to gain access and um you know tensions were rising a little bit you know the the kind of the, the French riot police were very heavy handed um you know they were uh, you know slamming batons into the water you know the, the the fencing you know where the fans were and you know as we started moving along a little bit i, I did I, the, the you know the tear gas started and i mean that stuff bloody stings as well and I, you know it's it, it isn't nice at all i mean it's obviously that that puts you into a situation where everyone is is panicking and in a, a state of shock and then we we eventually got in um to to block you and there's lots of French fans, people around us, um, you know, kind of very clearly not not Liverpool supporters. Um, and they were all, you know, in the seats, you know, were standing up in the seated area with with everyone. And, and I thought that was really odd as well. And um, game game was going well for Liverpool up until the 40th minute. And then, I, I, you know, I thought, we you know, we struggled up top in, in the game. But the game was at that point a little bit irrelevant because it had been such a shocking experience and um you know you, you it finishes we got we got locked in for a bit after it while the, the madrid fans were allowed out the stadium um i mean they didn't seem to have any issues with it even though there is video footage that, that has come out of them jumping the fence you know to get in without tickets um i mean i think that always goes on at champions league finals you know if you think back to athens in 2007 um, there was horrendous amounts of that, um, you know, where people's tickets weren't getting checked and they were getting access to the stadium and everything like that. Um, so then, you know, we, we eventually got out and then that, that's when all, all the, you know, the bad stuff started because you've just kind of got, as you're heading towards the Metro, you had very little police presence um, and, uh, you know, a lot of, lot of fans were, were being ambushed by gangs and um, having to, you know, try and navigate the way through that and, and, and get to it. And then, you know, once you, you you kind of get on the metro, you just kind of want to get get back then, you know, and start making your way home, really. So, overall, you know, a pretty horrendous experience for all concerned. Um, and, you know, I've seen, you know, I mean, I see, I'm, I'm led to believe that... that um, UEFA put on the screens due to the late arrival of fans, um, which which wasn't the case at all. You know, from what I've seen, everyone was in a jovial mood. They were getting to the stadium in plenty of time, and you know, it, it become a very toxic situation before and after the game, really. And um, and we had this weird thing where you know, as the game ended, all the all the the, the riot police come and stood in front and what I also mentioned as we should mention as well is that they actually stormed some of the blocks last night and and you know hit hit really hard with the the shields and everything you know trying to storm the way through um and 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 there's kids in there who've been tear gassed and and, and whatnot it was, it was just horrendous because again that, that that's a shock but it's just trying to process what what we've seen um you know, and 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 kind of just trying to kind of you know obviously get get into the city centre later on to to give the lads the, the support that they deserve, and um, yeah, just uh, if you asked me to go to Paris again to watch a football match, it would probably be an emphatic no. In all honesty, 
Yeah, a, an interesting listen there from Steve, but a, a worrying, and again, I use that word that I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, Gareth, a terrifying listen from Steve in terms of what went on on the ground in Paris. And we've discussed the game, but you just get the sense that this was one of those nights where football almost falls into just nothingness because what happened, what fans witnessed, what fans were subjected to is the greater focus. Now, you'll have a, a perspective on this from distance because you weren't in Paris but you know you've got friends and, and colleagues etc that were there this was a horrible horrible night that actually could have been far worse yeah absolutely I mean um, the, the, there's an excellent piece from someone I know well uh, Dan Austin on the Metro um, he's put together a piece there an eyewitness account of, of what's gone on and, it, and it's a horrific read to be honest and and he, and he says you know it, it wasn't far off being a situation where you know there could have been loss of life it was that bad um i think i think your wife your reaction to it is an absolute disgrace equally um you know french government uh, some of the stuff they've put out there already equally so um and that there is the attempt once again to just tar um, the name of football fans, the name of Liverpool, the you know people who've just gone for a good time to to go to a football match to watch their team in a, in a final in a huge game of football, and look the organisation around it looks like an absolute joke. Um, you know the truth is out there; it's well established as well already. I think these days, if you put this up against you know Hillsborough as an example, Hillsborough they were allowed to to tar the name of of Liverpool supporters in that instance because we didn't have social media then. You know people didn't have the the, the their way really of getting the truth out there now it's different so as you say you know the BT sports coverage was questionable um, not least because they, they were taking UEFA statements as read and, and just reading them out and, and, and talking about them as though that's a fact that people turned up late whereas you know a, a cursory glance at social media you can see straight away that people were turning up two hours two and a half hours and more um, early to get into the ground, which should be more than enough time to get yourself in there. Um, there's been good coverage from Sky as well, explaining exactly how things unfolded um, on on the night. You know, supporters being kettled into very small spaces, uh, the use of pepper spray, uh, which has affected children, disabled supporters and everything else. I mean, I mean even the use of that, you know, tear gas, pepper spray, etc., I, I don't really understand that approach from the police. Um, where exactly, if you're kettled into a small space, are you supposed to go? Um, because that, that is a dispersal technique. So why are you using a dispersal technique on people kettled into a small space? It doesn't really make sense other than you just want to be aggressive, you want to show how hard you are, you want to show that you're in charge. Look, You know, the whole optics of it was absolutely awful. Uh, you didn't have to be there to see that. So, you know, even at, towards the end of the game, you can see riot police lining up in huge numbers along the Liverpool end. And they're not the equivalent isn't there at the Real Madrid end. But again, it tells a story. Because obviously people looking in from the outside will say, well, why is that? No smoke without fire, all of that kind of stuff. But as I say, fortunately, we do have social media now. We do have a lot of journalists who, who support Liverpool who saw what went on. Uh, there's an excellent piece from Neil Jones, who I know well as well, who, who works for Goal. Um, and he mentions in there that a reporter from the Associated Press was actually dragged into a hut and told to delete video footage. Yeah. So, you know, that, that tells a big story in itself as well. 
Um, so the idea that this should somehow be pinned on football supporters once again is an absolute joke. Uh, UEFA need to put the hands up. I know Liverpool have already called for an investigation. And look, I wasn't at this one, but I was in Athens in 2007, and it wasn't this wasn't this similar then. Um, very similar stories: use of tear gas, um, the stadium not good enough for purpose. Um, and, and and it becoming dangerous in in and around the ground ultimately. Um, I mean, on the regular, going away watching a, a football team in Europe is is routine, routinely not great. Um, there have been other incidents this season uh, when Liverpool have gone away in terms of how they're policed and how they're stewarded. I've I've seen it before. Um, I remember going away to Seville, um, and we. Uh, we missed the kickoff because uh, we were held outside without explanation. Um, when I tried to video some stuff that was going on and the behaviour of the police, I had a had my mobile phone battened out of my hand and I was told not to film. Um, in that particular instance, and I believe it was similar last night, you know, you you'd end up, you do eventually get in, but you're guided to any old area. They're not really interested in what's on your ticket and the area you're meant to be in. And again, that has, you know, that, that has really can lead to a really dark situation. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's people in tears there that last night. There's people, who, I believe, who, who just turned around and went away. You know, they paid God knows what, 400, 500 quid for the tickets up to that price. And they've gone back to the hotel. Yeah, very interesting insight on that. But ultimately, the the feeling that you come away with from a disappointing night on the pitch for Liverpool, but a really, really worrying situation that was the position of the police, the security, UEFA, etc. outside the ground. And as you rightly say, there are big questions for UEFA to answer in the next few weeks. And hopefully this will enforce change surrounding fan safety and the way massive football matches are policed. Right, we're going to take a quick break on today's edition of the Football Social Daily. After the break, we're obviously continuing the Liverpool theme with Gareth, but we're looking ahead to next season. 2022-23 is only a couple of months away and Liverpool have some big plans to win some major honours. We're going to be chatting about all of that in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to our Champions League review edition of the Football Social Daily. No joy for Liverpool in Paris as Real Madrid clinched a 14th European Cup slash Champions League title. Disappointing end for Liverpool on the night as they end the season with the FA Cup and the EFL Cup. No Premier League and no Champions League, but optimism remains high ahead of next season. So, Gareth, that's what we're going to look at in the second part next season the dust will settle from Paris players will go away on international duty the summer break the transfer gossip will start to kick in before you know it we'll be into pre-season pre-season games and building back towards the start of the new Premier League season and, and Jurgen Klopp in his in his post-game press conference last night was very clear and he said to fans a little bit tongue-in-cheek book your hotels for Istanbul next year because I'm confident that we will be there and as a Liverpool fan, that's what you want to hear. You don't want to hear negativity, downbeat response. Jurgen Klopp is a is a confident, effusive character. And you want to hear that he has faith in himself, in the players, in the club, that in 12 months' time, Liverpool can be back in this position again and hopefully getting their hands on the big, big European Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look at Liverpool's recent record in the European Cup and there's every reason to believe that what Jurgen Klopp said was was absolutely correct because, you know, obviously he went to Kiev, went to Madrid, now to Paris. Um, only one European Cup to show for that, which is unfortunate. But to reach the final, you know, Klopp was saying, and, and I know people don't like to hear it and it's not like a, an accepted fact in football, if you like. But, you know, to come close represents some kind of achievement in itself. But people never, ever want to talk about that because, you know, we're so overrun by you know football banter like you have failed you know there is no silver medal or that kind of thing but to come so close is an achievement and, and what, what I really like about both Klopp this group of players this side is their ability to bounce back and go go even harder so you know to get 97 points and not win the league and then bounce back from that and win the league to lose a Champions League final and then bounce back and win one you know, they've shown before that they're able to do it. And I don't think there's anything there really to say, you know, this is the end of an era or the end of a side or that, you know, huge surgery is needed on the squad or the team. I think Liverpool will be there there or thereabouts again next season. And for me, that's always been what I've wanted as a football fan. Um, Liverpool's problems in the past have been, there's been a lot of boom, then bust situations in terms of how they performed in the league and how they performed in cups. So, you know, we've had eras, we've had moments, we've had finals, we've won cups, but it's never sort of been sustainable enough, you know, under different managers. It's always been, we get so far and then we start to drop away again. Um, you know, Rafa Benitez had that. Even Brendan Rodgers, you know, Brendan Rodgers has a, has a title challenge in him, but then the following season, everything drops away, poor signing, starts to fall out with people at the club, et cetera, et cetera, and on we move. This this feels much more sustainable. Obviously, the manager has extended his contract. Most of the key players uh, are signed up and stay. And obviously, there's a question mark around the front three. But even even the situation with the front three, the front three situation isn't as dark and as bad as some people are making out because we already have Diaz around and we already have Jota around and they're they're already integrated as well. We we've seen what they can do. Uh, their scoring record 
both decent. Um, Diaz, you would expect next season can go to another level because he, he'll have the summer to work with Liverpool to, you know, create better understandings with his teammates and things like that. I'm sure there'll be some coaching going on about what exactly they want from him and things like that. So there's loads and loads of reasons to be optimistic. And as I say, I'm sure they'll bounce back with determination to go and get more. Uh, hopefully the parade today isn't a, isn't a damn squib. I don't think it will be. I, I always think that there's a there's the, one of the characteristics of Liverpool as a city and a group of people is defiance. Um, and I expect to see a display of, the, of defiance today on the streets. I think people will still be out there. They'll want to show how much they love this side. And I think that alone will give them a little boost going into into next season. They've won two cups. You know, they've won two, there's only four cups you can win at the start of the season, and they've won two of them, and they've come very, very close to the other two. You know, there's no disgrace in that whatsoever. So, yeah, I fully back them to be back up there. And I actually know, and I'm sure people might laugh who don't support Liverpool or whatever, but I do actually know some people who've already booked Istanbul, <laughs> just in case. Um, I think that's you know proactive uh, based on the lack of hotels that yeah. were, were available in Paris. That's it's, it's forward planning. Yeah. Let's let's put it that way. Um, I want to ask you about Salah and Mane because in the next few weeks, as we gear up for the new Premier League season, their futures and what happens next is going to come back into the news. And they gave very different answers ahead of the final about their plans. Salah was quite clear. He said that he'd definitely be at Liverpool next season. But ultimately, his contract is just now, the can is being kicked down the road because he is out of contract at the end of next season. The talks are ongoing. He's been quite straight and open that Liverpool know what he wants. And now the ball is effectively in their court. As for Mane, his contract situation is similar. It's up next se- at the end of next season, sorry. But he promised a special answer after the Champions League final. Now, to give Sadio his due, he was probably upset last night. He's probably fairly busy today. I'm sure he'll get round to giving us this special answer when he gets a chance. What's your gut instinct on this? The, the idea that those two players could leave Liverpool Football Club sounds crazy, but time does move on. And as you said, Diaz, Jota, Fabio Carvalho has already agreed a deal. There's so many exciting young players at Liverpool Football Club. There is a situation where they both leave. There's a situation where one of them leaves, and there's a situation where they both stay. What's your call on this? It's tough, isn't it? I think um, you know it, it's a movable feast. Really, there's been different. You know, it's be, it's been a bit of a saga, particularly with Mo Salah. And I, it was always in my mind, well, how come we aren't talking about Sadio quite so much? Uh, obviously, that's caught up now. Uh, there's been some speculation about uh, interest from Bayern Munich uh, and that kind of thing. I thought the way he answered that question at the time, pre-match, um, it sounded that he was staying, is how, I, is how I interpreted it at the time. I thought, you know, if, if you're saying something's a special announcement in a Liverpool press conference, then surely you are nodding your head towards the fact that you were staying at Liverpool. There were, there were some quotes kicking around last time about uh, last night sorry, about um, his sort of respect for this team and the manager, I think I saw. And, and again, obviously, people are jumping on them and interpreting them in a certain way. It just needs to be cleared up, doesn't it, I think, with Sadio. And hopefully it is cleared up in, in the positive, in that you know, he's, he's going to stick around. I really hope he does. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, I think he's been excellent this season, particularly second half of the season. Um, there's a real fight in, in Sadio that I enjoy watching as a football fan. Um, he, he's got great quality as well. And you look what he's achieved this season, both... For Liverpool and for for his country, and it's got to go down as a special season for him. 
So he he's not done yet. He's got a long way to go in his career. I, I do wonder whether maybe with both of them, um, the situation is not that Liverpool, you know, aren't sure whether they want to keep them. I think I think Jurgen Klopp would love to keep the pair of them. I think it's I think it's likely length of contract rather than anything else. So there's always been lots of talk and speculation around what the money is that you know Mo's asking for and things like that. I wonder whether it comes down to length of contract. So you know Liverpool might might be prepared to shake hands on two years or three years. And I imagine the agents of both players are, you know, pushing more for four and five years and that kind of thing. So it could come down to that. And actually what I think might happen should this sort of continue to unfold in a similar manner. You know, FSG, who ultimately run this club, um, they've shown before that they're not scared to let a good player go um, on the proviso that they see out the contract. And while people might look in from the outside and say, well, that's a bit mad, but you, but you get another year out of these players, though. So, you know, you you could sell up now and, and take a fee, and I'm sure there would be takers for both players. Or you could say, well, OK, we might not strike a deal with these, but we'll get another season out of the pair of them. And getting another season out of the pair of them is no bad thing because we know what the quality is. We know the number of goals they're capable of scoring. We know as well with, with the pair of them, touch wood, that they're on the pitch more often than not as well. You know, there's not been against against such wood. There's not been major major injuries with, with the with the pair of them for for a good while, and that that's always a good thing, a good sign, a good thing to have. And, and look, I'm sure their fitness is constantly monitored, um, and so the, you know they will know behind the scenes whether there's any drop off, whether you know they don't press as hard, whether they don't run as far. But certainly from the naked eye, what I see this season. There's none of that. I mean, you know, at, at times, I think mentioned before, Salah struggled a little bit in terms of his form, but he still looked fit. He's still running. He's still he's still chasing back. He's still getting involved. You, you know, you sometimes see him pop up almost in the fullback position, grafting away to win the the ball back. So, I've not spotted anything attitude wise with the pair of them that suggests a problem when it actually comes to playing football. So it may well unfold that you know they're allowed to run the contracts down and move on. We shall see. Um, I'm really hopeful, though, that the special announcement from Sadio is I'm staying. Uh, could, we could really do with that boost right now. Definitely. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you about transfer targets because Liverpool, you would expect they will be active in the market. As we mentioned before, Fabio Carvalho is is a done deal. He'll be moving uh, once the window opens. And Klopp's been quite realistic and quite pragmatic when he's asked about transfers and possible targets. Erling Haaland's obviously agreed his move to Manchester City, despite the fact that Kylian Mbappe's mam is a massive Liverpool fan. He's not going to Liverpool this summer. He's staying at PSG. Uh, Mbappe having his Robbie Keane moment there. I thought that was very bizarre that of all the people that I had to pick as being a Liverpool fan, Mbappe's mam wasn't one of them. That was a bit of a surprise. Um, but they will be in the market for players. And, and Jurgen Klopp knows that those types of deals are not for Liverpool, whether it's a financial reason, whether it's a, a squad balancing reason, that's not the type of target Liverpool will be going for. But their policy of I don't want to I don't want to discredit players by saying shopping from a lower shelf, but maybe buying players that are not of the profile of Mbappe or Haaland, but have got the raw materials there under Klopp's managerial ability that can be turned into world class operators, Diaz, Jota, Ibrahima Kanate, etc players probably in and around the £50 million mark that can then turn into bona fide quality players is Klopp's strength. Do you think that's the path he's going to follow this summer in terms of targets? And who do you think could be a realistic target for Liverpool in the next few weeks? 
Uh, yeah, I certainly don't think there'll be a, a huge change in the, in the transfer policy. And look, you know, Liverpool have, have won things and then not sort of really built upon that. And, and, and a lot of people have criticised them for doing that and said, well, you know, where, where, where's the money? Should be spending money here. Should be, you know, improving from a situation of strength and that kind of thing. Obviously, Diaz, you know, is up to 50 million eventually with, with add-ons and all the rest of it. And he already looks like a success. You mentioned Canate, a recent purchase in a game. We're all delighted with him and thought he was brilliant yesterday. Uh, probably one of Liverpool's best players on the night. So, you know, the in general, they, they've got transfers right and, and, and they deserve some respect around that. Obviously, Michael Edwards uh, leaving the club now and his role being passed on we'll see how that unfolds but I don't I don't think it'll lead to any huge change any noticeable change I think you know the way they work as you mentioned Klopp improving players um, of a certain status and taking them somewhere else I think I think that's what's going to continue that is their method that is the way they do things they know that they can't go to toe-to-toe with Manchester City over players when the fees start to rocket and things like that and okay people look at Allison and Van Dijk and the fees that we paid for them but you know the fees that they that were paid for them came after the huge fee that was paid for Coutinho by Barcelona so that's where that situation arrived from I mean in terms of someone that you know, Liverpool could potentially be interested in and, you know, and I hope they are. There was some talk, some mention of uh, Nunes, Darwin Nunes at Benfica. And I thought in the in the, in the the matches against Liverpool, he was really impressive. And, you know, Klopp seemed to be doing that thing that he sometimes does where, you know, he's giving them a little bit of a cuddle and he's saying nice things about them. And in the press conference afterwards, he was very effusive about his ability and his strength and, it felt a little bit, I've got to be honest, in the home game against Benfica that he was almost Nunes um, auditioning a little bit for Liverpool. Like he, he really put it in and, and it was really noticeable. And I'd, I don't know, it just it just piqued my interest a little bit. I thought, hmm, because we've seen that before. We've seen players perform well against Liverpool and then end up playing for Liverpool. Uh, you know, Minamino's another example of that. So... Yeah, fingers crossed that could be one because he seems to me like the right profile. Like, he, you know, he wouldn't be too mad in terms of a transfer fee. Um, he's got lots of raw ability and, and uh, you know, attributes that Klopp would, I'm sure, love to work with. So maybe that could be one because, you know, you've got Origi going out the door as well. He's chipped in with goals. Not not the most appearances, of course, this season, which is ultimately why he's decided to move on to AC Milan. But he's another loss in terms of someone who can score goals. So maybe there's a little slot for another striker to come in there, especially with, as we've just discussed, the the uncertainty around two of our main strikers right now. And, and worth mentioning as well that, you know, Firmino's, Firmino's contract is up um, in, at the same time as the other two as well. And quickly, before we put a lid on today's podcast, obviously looking ahead to next season, the quadruple starts the minute the first ball is kicked from the Premier League season. Obviously, Liverpool are through to the Champions League. EFL FA Cup defence comes back into it next season. What are your hopes? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you for your predictions. We're way too, way too uh, still uh, in the mire from last night to be looking at predictions. But in terms of targets and objectives for Liverpool next season, what do you think is on the agenda? I just think it's the same as it always is, which is reach April and May still being in contention for things and then talk about it then. Uh, that should always be the objective for Liverpool. So, you know, go as deep as you can in cup competitions. Um, you know, obviously the league title is now a sprint from day one to the end. There is no sort of 
it's not a marathon anymore. You've got to come out the blocks. You've got to win the games. You've got to keep on going. And we know that City will push Liverpool all the way and, and probably vice versa. And, it, you know, there could be a cigarette paper between the two of them again, yet again. You know, you look around the league and you're like, well, who's really going to emerge from the pack next season? Don't really see anyone. I'm, I've got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm not convinced that it will be Chelsea. I'm definitely not convinced that it will be Manchester United. I think it will be Liverpool and City once again going doing battle for the title. In terms of the Cups, I think they'll handle it in the same way as they've always done. I think there's been a lot of sort of talk about it being different, how he handled it this season. I don't think it was really. I mean, you know, in the early rounds... It was still much changed sides. It was still young sides. It was still people on the periphery coming in and, and doing a job. Minamino ended up being top scorer, I think, in the domestic cup competitions, which shows you, you know, that was where he got his game time. So I'm, I'm, I don't think things will be handled very differently. I think it will be business as usual. And business as usual for Liverpool, for this squad, for this manager, is being in contention for pretty much everything. Uh, so I'd expect a similar situation next season. Yeah, plenty to look forward to uh, on the back of a difficult night to be a Liverpool fan. Uh, we're going to call it a day for today's edition of the Football Social Daily. Just a quick reminder, over the summer, when we're not in action in the Premier League, we are down to three podcasts a week. So that means Monday, Wednesday and Friday, we'll be producing a daily Premier League show. So as always, hit subscribe up the top and you can get access to that show as soon as it is ready. Gareth, Thank you so much for coming on. It's obviously a difficult night and a difficult morning to come into, but you're off to the parade this afternoon and looking forward to a positive season with Liverpool next year. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Great stuff indeed. And uh, thanks for listening to the Football Social Daily. As always, keep up to date with us right the way across the summer. You can also check out team updates, transfer news, gossip, all that type of thing. www.sport-social.co.uk There's going to be plenty to come in the next few weeks and months, so make sure you check it out. Thanks for listening and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.